So I want us to be people who are serious and are abiding. This is not a journey of being superficial. There is no room for being superficial. Even though many people sadly are superficial today in the body of Christ. We don't want to be like Judas. Judas was a disciple called of the Lord. But he was superficial. He never really embraced the truth that Jesus came to offer. And that is why everything about him right to the very end of his sad life was very clear and indicative that he was never really a connected disciple. We don't want to be. I don't know about you, but the day I read from scripture that Jesus said a time will come, he will call the people to himself and he will say to some, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I know you not. I saw that scripture when I was a child and I was surprised when especially the Bible says some of those people will say, but we cast out demons in your name. We did these things in your name. And he will still say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. I said, wow. So somebody can be superficial and yet be performing miracles. Somebody can be superficial and yet be doing things that look like it. When, Peter, when, when Paul was now speaking to Timothy, he gave Timothy in many instances what this superficial nature will have a connotation of. And I read the scripture quite a lot because it is one that I believe believers, every believer should be reading from time to time to help us have a reality check. Not because we want to be legalistic about the way we live, but because we want to make sure that we are not superficial. We want to make sure that we are truly connected to the vine. Timothy said, know this, verse 1, that in the last day, perilous times will come. The word perilous means dangerous. The word perilous means destructive, destruction. It means peril. Peril means destroy. Perilous times, times that will be full of destruction, time that will be full of all kinds of upheaval and trouble. He said they will come. And I believe that as we continue to grow closer to Jesus, we are just walking into more of that perilous time. We are already in them. But as we progress, what we keep finding is that they get more and more vicious. Vicious they will be. He said these are the traits that men will be. First, they will be lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of money. They will be boasters and proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. They will be unthankful. They will be unholy. Now he's talking about men and their attitude in the perilous times. He said they will be unloving, verse 3. They will be unforgiving. They will be slanderers. They will be without self-control. They will be brutal. They will be despisers of good. They will be traitors like Judas. They will follow a master and betray. They will follow an employer and, and betray. They will follow a spouse and betray. They will follow a parent and betray. They will follow a child and betray. Traitors they will be. They will be headstrong. They will be haughty, proud, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now verse 5 is this. 2 Timothy chapter 3. He said they will be having a form of godliness, but they are denying its power. This is a superficial Christian. They are in the church. They are belonging. They are with an identity. They are with a name. They are with a lingo. They are with some kind of thing that says, I'm a Christian. But every one of these fruits of the flesh is in strong, or some of these fruits of the flesh is in strong manifestation. Every one of us must understand that nobody is free from these things or from the temptations and the lure of these things. 
we must continue to check ourselves. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13, Paul said, everyone must keep examining themselves. You have to ask yourself, Lord, am I becoming a lover of myself? Is everything about me? Is now, must I be the right one? Must I be correct? Must I always be, must it always be about me, 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 myself alone? You must ask yourself every day that am I becoming a lover of money? You see, to become a lover of money is a very, very simple thing. Most people don't know this. There is a fine line between making money and becoming a lover of money. Very, very fine line. It, to cross into the other side is a very, very simple thing. Very simple. Because it is a natural temptation to make money. To want to make money, you have to make money. You need to pay bills. You have to run life. You have to do things. This space costs us almost over five, four thousand pounds every month to, to spend, to, to, to run. And that has been from day one since we started the ministry. So if we don't have money to pay it, we don't go to the landlord and say, at the end of the month. <laughs> when it's time to pay the rent, we don't go there and say, spiritual. <laughs> we are spiritual. <laughs> he will throw us out. <laughs> Or if it was on a mortgage that you are paying or your rent, you don't go to your landlord at the end of the month and, and speak in tongues. No, you pay. That's the only contract. So we need money to do things. So there's no doubt about that. But you see, when it becomes that the pursuit of money is now taking gradually the place of God, and it is no longer having given due regard to God, even when the money is made, God is never thought about. That person is becoming a lover of money. I don't want to put anybody on their guilt trip here, but I want you to know, Lovers of money, the Bible says some people will become. This was what killed Judas. Why would Judas betray his, his savior and master? 30 pieces of silver that he never got to use. He threw them away at the end of the day and hung himself. What a shame. What a shame. We don't want to be superficial believers. We don't want to be posters. We don't want to be proud. You have to check pride every time because it makes people superficial before they know it. And the Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We need to be people who are serious to wanting to be, to be abiding. People will be unthankful. I've never seen a generation so unthankful in my life. And I know I've not lived for too long. But if for five decades you can watch and watch and watch, I think you have seen a little in relative context of how long man lives in this day and age. I think you've seen a little. Never seen a, a generation that feels so entitled. They feel so entitled from God. They feel so entitled from man. You do something, God does something for them. They don't see a need to say, Lord, I thank you. Not even in one-on-one, on one, not to talk of giving a testimony in congregation. Because they think it is their right to have it. None of us have any right to anything. Breathe in right now. Everybody take a deep breath in. Hmm. I hope you did it very well. Now, breathe back out. Do it one more time. Take a deep breath in. Breathe back out. Do you know some people need a machine to do that? Some people need a machine to do that every time to keep them alive. And then you breathe in and out. No day you wake up and say, Lord, I thank you that I can breathe. I thank you that I can walk. I thank you that I can do my work. I thank you that my head is correct. You think you, your, your mental capacity to write things and do things is just because you are so good or you are so trained? No. It is God that makes your brain work well. So we have to be thankful for everything. Not to talk of those things he does for us when we actually prayed and asked 
him to, to help us. And then he comes through and then we don't say thank you. We don't say thank you to God, so how can we say thank you to people? There are some people who feel so entitled when, they, when you give them something out of your own hard-earned labor. You take out and give to them to be a blessing. They take it as if it's their right to <laughs> they put it in your hand in the first instance. That is a generation that we don't want to be. Paul said to Timothy, people will be unthankful, they will be unholy. They will be headstrong. Let us not be any of those things. So, again, this is not to put us under any pressure, but it's for us to be real and check that, Lord, I don't want to be any of these things. And when you find a trace of it in your life, it's just to simply say, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm becoming headstrong. Lord, have mercy on me. I'm becoming a lover of money. Lord, have mercy on me. I am becoming brutal. I no longer care about people. I just do my thing and go. Even door slams on somebody else's face. I don't care. I just go. You know, I drive in the traffic as if I'm the only one on the road. You know, anything you find, just say, Lord, help me, help me, help me. So let's be like Peter instead, who recognized Christ as the true hope of mankind and determined to abide. Remember in Matthew chapter 16, very lovely story from round about verse 16. The Bible says, Jesus asked, who do men say I am? And then the disciples were given all kinds of names. And then he said, who do you say I am? And then Peter said, you are the Christ the son of the living God. Everybody has kept quiet because they themselves don't know. They knew what others are saying, which is very typical with people. People know things about other people, but they never, ever evaluate themselves. They know who is doing what, who is doing that, who is doing this, who is going to this, who is going to there. But when you now ask them, you, what are you doing? You say, ah, ah, yeah. <laughs> people don't think about themselves. So the, when they say, no, who do you say I am? They kept quiet. They didn't know what to say. But thank God for Peter. Peter said, you are the Christ, son of the living God. Then verse 18, please, open with me. Matthew 16, 18, if you can. He said, and I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, on this revelation that you know that I am the, I am the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And so on. Now, it is important that we have a personal revelation of Christ in order to abide very well. We must know that, like Peter did, Peter did not just know Christ as their Lord and Savior. He did not just know Christ as the one who helped him to draw many fish when he had been tired. He did not just see Christ as that one who does miracles and just does things and, 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 and just flows in the power of God. He knew him as Christ. The word Christ means Messiah, the soon coming king. He knew him as Christ, which meant the Savior, the Lord of the world. So it is important that we also know him as Christ. In John chapter 6, after that wonderful miracle of the loaves, where people were looking to have uh, food uh, from Jesus because he gave them bread. Remember John chapter 6, when he produced so much bread, he fed 5,000 plus people. The next day, they came again. You know, the people like food. They like free things. You know, you want your business to move very quickly, put out a few free things. You'll get many people come around. <laughs> people like free things. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus knew that they were only coming for the things that were unimportant. Jesus never undermined the place of physical food. Never. In fact, he's the one that first said, let us give them food to eat. Isn't it? He said, make the people sit down. I said, is there any food around here? Then they collected that small boy's food 
and he began the miracle and he fed them. When the devil wanted to test him to cast the, to turn the stones to bread, in Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 4, remember what he said? He said, man shall not live by bread alone, which means that bread is also important. Okay? So he didn't say man shall not live by bread, but by the bread, by the word of God. He didn't say man shall not live by bread, but by the word of God. Because some over spiritual people don't value the place of bread. And that is not what Jesus said. He only said, don't stay living on bread alone. If you live on bread alone, you will be, you will be malnourished spiritually. But when you learn to understand the place of bread, giving the place of bread its due place without too much regard to that is the things of the physical. Now, food, clothing, those things. Giving it its due regard, but much more leaning on the word of God, every word of God. You become a person who is living like he commanded. He said that you shall live by every word of God. So when Simon Peter, when people, when Jesus said to them, you need to eat of my body. That is the bread you need. And you need to drink of my blood. They thought he was asking them to become cannibals. They were very carnal. They never saw the, the spiritual dimension of what he was saying. So the Bible says, one by one, they began to walk away. They began to say, this man is crazy. He's saying now that we shouldn't eat bread anymore. We should eat him. No, are you still there? I'm not here anymore. This guy is crazy. And they started to go one by one by one by one. And then suddenly he found that he was left only with the 12, including Judas at that point. And then John, uh, Peter said, when Jesus said to them in verse 67, now Peter said to the 12, do you also want to go away? Asking them a question. Verse 68, John chapter 6, verse 68. Peter, Simon Peter, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? Jesus was the one who said man shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. Peter now read that from the law because it was written in the book of Deuteronomy. He read that from the law and here now physically was the one who was that word personified. Here now was the one who was that word speaking to them mouth to mouth, face to face. People were walking away. He said, no, we go nowhere. We have found you. I know I have declared you before as Christ, the son of the living God. But now I have also experienced you as the one who truly is carrying the word of eternal life. Do you see why Peter could not fall away? Even when Jesus prayed for him to stand after he was tempted and he denied three times. It was impossible for Peter to fall away completely simply because he had a revelation until the Bible becomes the word of eternal life to you, you run a risk of not abiding. You run a risk of falling away until you make up your mind that it is either the Bible or nothing else. We are in a time when we are taught all kinds of things. And I know that these are very, very subjective things in our day and age. But you know something? What Peter said here is all we need to learn 
and hold on to. Peter said, to whom shall we go? To which philosophy? To which doctrine? To which religion? To which idea of man again? To which person? To which king? To which government? To which who? To who shall we go again? You alone have the words of eternal life. Said, and we have also, verse 69, and we have also come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We don't just know it, we believe it. We don't just know it, we accept it. We don't just know it, we don't doubt it. Jesus answered him, did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? Despite all this you are saying, just telling Peter, I know what you are saying, speak for yourself. I'm just paraphrasing, you better speak for yourself. One of you is still a devil. <laughs> He's looking at me right now. <laughs> you have made your mind up to follow and believe and accept. Know me as the Christ and know that I am the one with the words of eternal life. But there is still one of you who is looking at me now who is not in the level that you are in. Verse 71, he spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. May we not be like Judas in the name of Jesus May we be like Peter in the name of Jesus. Very powerful truth that was revealed to us in scripture there. I will give us a few things that God wants us from scripture that can easily make us superficial, that we must work against. Apart from those traits, I say we should try to observe and get rid of in our lives. Many people have become superficial in their spiritual journey because of Three things I want to quickly discuss with you. Number one, desiring the praises of men. Desiring the praises of men. God wants us to love him and love people, but he has never ever asked us to put people before him. No place in scripture. I'd rather offend man and please God. I'd rather please God and offend man than to try to please man and offend God. John chapter 12, verse 42. He said, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. Please write down these scriptures. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Least they should be put out of the synagogue. They have titles in the synagogue. They have names on theirs in the synagogue. They are known in the synagogue. They are afraid of losing their positions in the synagogue. How many people are afraid of losing one position or another today and cannot openly declare Christ? How many people? How many people? He said, least they should be put out of the synagogue. For verse 43, look at John 12, 43. For they loved the praises of men more than the praise of God. They want to please men. They want to please people. Now, I want you to know this. This has nothing to do with disrespecting human beings, especially those in authority. This has nothing to do with hating any human being. We have never been commanded to hate. A Christian that walks in hatred toward a fellow man, no matter who that man is, no matter what they believe, is not a true child of God. You must love people. It is a command. Say, I am commanded to love God and to love people. Period. The first core value we have as a church is that, to love God and to love people. But loving people has nothing to do with being afraid of people and wanting the praise of people at the expense of the praise of God. 
We must never ever live our lives in such a way where we are ashamed. Romans 1.16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is what? The power of God unto salvation. He recognized it. If you don't recognize it as the power of God unto salvation, you will be tempted to be ashamed of it. I'm never ashamed of it. I'm never ashamed of it. When I take on a new job, the first thing I tell people, oh yes, this is what, you know, this is who I am, this is what I've done before. And this is the next thing I say is, and I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor. So that we saw that out from day one. Yeah, if you don't like that, sorry, that, that's just who I am. <laughs> that's just who I am. That's just who I am. I've never seen a footballer go to somewhere and he's ashamed to tell them that he's a footballer. No, I've never seen one. Have you seen one before? No. He says, I'm a, I'm a soccer, I'm a football player. Yeah. That's what you believe. That's what you do. I mean, I'm not saying that football players are all believers, but he's just saying who he is. So why can't I say who I am? The satanic man will say, I'm a satanist. Oh, really? God bless you. I'm a Jesusist. <laughs> God bless you good. I'm a Jesus Christist. <laughs> and God loves you all the same. The atheists will say, I don't believe in God. Or say, wow, God loves you. I believe in him. Just who you are. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul said, he, gave, he said that for the message of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is what? The power, the power, the power of God. The power of God. You cannot encounter this power and not want the praises of God every time. The reason you are still struggling or people still struggle between wanting the praises of men and wanting the praises of God is simply because the people are still thinking that there is one power with the praises of men and there's another power with the praises of God. No, no, no. The praise of God has all power. When you have the praise of God, you are commanded. You command the power and the praise of men automatically because what backs you makes you irresistible. The Bible says when a man's ways pleases the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So this has nothing to do be to, to, be with, to be rash with people or to be rude to people. That's not what we're talking about at all. I am only saying that the important thing for us to realize here is that we must continue to work hard against desiring the praises of men at the expense of the praise of God. Does this mean we should not do our work effectively? Does it mean we should not relate with people effectively and in love? No, not like that. Nothing like that, far from it. As a matter of fact, wanting the praise of God makes us want to do well with men. We represent him here on earth. We are the light of the world. So we want to be well-pleasing. We don't want people to curse God, curse our God because of our bad behavior, because of our pride and rudeness or our ineffectiveness at work. No, one of the reasons we must work hard as Christians to be good in what we study, in what we do, is so that we don't bring the name of the Lord to reproach. One of the reasons why we must be integrity in business and want to make sure that we keep chaste in what we do is so that we don't want anybody to say, and he says, or she says, he is a Christian, or she is a Christian. So we have work to do. So that saying we don't want the praises of men doesn't mean, and then we say we are children of God doesn't mean that we live anyhow and do things anyhow and be rude to people and be ineffective at work and be slothful. That is not a child of God. All God is saying is put your trust in me. Put your trust in me. The Bible says trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. 
Friends, the more I grow in life, the more I see that the more you trust God, the better for you. I said, the more you trust God, the better for you. I am not saying that don't look to man for help when you need help. In fact, that is something else that's as part of trusting God. When you trust God, he will lead you to people that you should speak to about situations. Don't say, ah, I don't want the praise of any man. I will not talk to them. That's what I'm talking about. That's foolishness. If God said that person has the wisdom for helping you to tell you to what to do next about that exam or that phase of life you are going into or that marriage you're about to go into or that child you're about to have, whatever it is, better go and listen to them because what happened is God has put the words that he wants to speak to you through the mouth of a person, regardless of who, you, who they are. It doesn't matter their religion. It doesn't matter their faith. This is one thing. Believers will say, I cannot go to a non-believer for a counsel. Who told you? Who told you? He's a fellow human being. God, God spoke through a donkey. Did you read that in your Bible? And I'm not calling any human being a donkey. But if God can speak through a donkey, it means he can speak through anyone. Most times, the people who even say things to you that will help you, don't share your faith. In fact, they don't know God in some cases. But they have key that God has put there to speak because God will not come down from heaven. This is why believers like to dramatize when they do a film until they do that voice. Oh, my soul. <laughs> so the innocent young convert goes to sleep. He says, I don't hear this voice. <laughs> what is wrong with my own faith? Every time I watch these preachers, they say, God spoke to me and I heard the voice. He said, my son. <laughs> You see, I've never had it like that. <laughs> so the believers, young innocent believers, young newcomers, they will think something is wrong with them. They will think they are not spiritual. But they need to know that the way God will speak is that as you are not going about, as a child of God, prayed up, listen to the Holy Spirit. When he says you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way you in it. As you are going about, you will find people, he will meet, you will meet people, and then God will say, this person needs to speak to you about this matter. Thank you so much, sir. God bless you. So this person needs to speak to you in this matter. Then you open your mouth and pray. 1999, God had talked talk to me a year before that I would leave my home country and I would come out to, he would take me to a, a new land and I would minister his word in a unique way. I didn't know how that was going to be. I didn't know a thing about how I would leave my country to go to another country to practice. I didn't know. I was doing well in my country by the grace of God. And then one day I sat down in front of a Jewish man and the man said to me, and, I, and the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, ask, let's help the children. He said, ask, good man Gadi, whose his name was, he said, ask him how you will go and practice abroad. I looked, good man, I don't discuss such things with good man. I was a resident engineer on behalf of the government of our country through my company on a very big project, $120 million. He was leading the contractor group. We don't have such conversations. We talk very hard things about how the work is not moving and how they need to change and double up. and all. That's the kind of talk we talk. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit, in the midst of that talk, he said, ask him how you leave your home country to practice abroad. And I asked Goodman. Goodman said, so what are you doing? I said, I've sent applications. That's all I knew to do. Apply. Can you imagine me applying to Council of Warsaw from a place called Katina in Nigeria? <laughs> Can you ever imagine somebody doing that? I was doing that. I would just see a company that hire civil engineers. I applied to them. <laughs> and they were very courteous. You know, British people are very nice, very courteous people. They would reply me. I think they, they saw that this guy is crazy, but let's, <laughs> let's reply him all the same. <laughs> and they would reply me and say, well, thank you for your application, but uh, 
we're sorry now, we're looking you know, to, to consider candidates from within the country. And so on. I said, okay, so but how am I going to do this? Then he said to me, he said, don't you have a master's? I said, yes, I do. He said, go for a PhD. God is my witness. Up to that point, I never wanted to consider a PhD. We engineers, when we were trained, I don't know about now, our training, we don't want to, what do you want to do with PhD? You come out as an engineer, you are ready to start making money. <laughs> that was our life. At best, you get a master's those days. So I wasn't thinking that way. For the first time, it occurred to me, he said, you go for a PhD. He said, you will get a scholarship. And when you get a scholarship, you decide. When you finish, they may hire you, or you decide what you want to do afterwards. But at least you have three years to decide. And that changed everything for me. To cut the long story short, that's how I came to this country. Because he put me in touch with a network that I never knew about. And as I sent out my CV, the rest is history, as they say. This happened 24 years ago. You don't know who God is going to use. And I'm telling you, friends, keep your focus on God. He can use anybody. I hardly share this story, and I pray God helps you to see it in the right context. I don't want anyone here to take it out of context, especially those of you that know a little bit about the history of what I'm talking about. In the year 2017, in August, I took leaders from this church. Many leaders were placed on a retreat. And uh, I shared my heart as to how God wanted us to purchase this place and how it was going to cost us about a quarter of a million to raise the initial tranche of funding and to put it in and, and take it off the landlord and so on. And I was excited. These were brethren at, at that point that had served with me for about four years. So I was very excited. I shared my mind. But for some strange reason, for some strange reason, from that very point, <laughs> in that August, as we got back, had our anniversary, end of August, thank you, had our anniversary at the end of August. Thank you, that's fine. And uh, one by one, these leaders started to leave me. <laughs> one after the other. One after the other. By January 2018, virtually all of them had gone. In fact, is there anybody here now that was in the August retreat, August 2017 retreat for leaders? One, and your husband I know, that's two. Out of about 20-something people that went, three. God bless you. Everybody. So if I had put my... And at that point, all we had raised so far was about 14,000 pounds. So if my trust was in those men that I know this one is a businessman, I know this one is a this, that one is a that. If I was calculating into their pockets, I don't know where I would have been today. <laughs> now... Again, God knows I am not slighting any of those people. None of them pledged anything before they left. None of them put a dime. And I'm not slagging them, if you know them. I believe that is how they were led. They left the vision for me. You are the one that knows what you're doing. <laughs> they left it for me. And to the glory of God, God started bringing all of you that I'm looking at now. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. There is a word that I've been running with from 2013. The first day, this church was dedicated August 31. It was a Saturday. Sunday morning, we woke up, my wife and I, coming to the first service. I didn't know who would come, who would not be here. God said to me, he said, son, the work has started. Go in there. If you see eight or 80 people, he said, they are the people I'm bringing to start the work with you. He said, the real people who will do the work, you are yet to know them. I told my wife, I said, this is what God says. She said, what kind of thing is that? I said, that is what he said. <laughs> because everybody always wants something that is, you know, constant. And he said, you have not known them at all. So since that day, 
my mind has been on you that I didn't know in 2013. All of you that are still coming and many, many more of you that are still coming. Hallelujah. How that money moved from 14,000 to over 200,000 today, no human being can explain it. There's no money back anywhere to say, ah, if not for me, yeah, it can't happen. It can't happen. Friends, I'm not bragging about this, but I'm telling you, put your trust in God. I do it for my personal life. I do it for my family. I do it for my, myself, and I do it for this church. I don't look at human beings for anything. I value human beings. I value everyone here. But I realize that what we need all the time is the praises of God. That keeps you abiding all the time. When you know that without God, you can do nothing, like we'll look at next week, you find that your life will never want to let him go. Number two, lack of contentment. Lack of contentment. Number one, desiring the praises of God, let's not be of men, sorry, rather than the praises of God. That's number one. And then number two is lack of contentment. Lack of contentment. You know what I'm about to say next, some of you. But I will say it again. When I was very young, I used to wonder why preachers drink water. Can't they just preach one hour? <laughs> so when I came into the role, I understood better. <laughs> My eyes were open. <laughs> this is why at times, when you are criticizing something from afar, you don't know what it is. <laughs> when you talk and it's like all everything has vanished. <laughs> Hallelujah. Lack of contentment. John chapter 13, this was the problem of Judas, verse 10. Jesus said, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, verse 10. But it's completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Again, verse 11, he said, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. Sadly, Judas was not contented. All the disciples were contented with having Christ and having that relationship. John, the beloved, will even lean on him and put his head on his shoulder when he's speaking. They loved him. But Judas had his mind, his heart on things. Dipping money into the, the bag of the treasury and negotiating silver for his, master, for his master's head. Contentment. First Timothy 6, 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness without contentment will lead to nothing but frustration. And if care is not taken, it will lead to a severance from abiding in the vine. Many believers have become very impatient with God because they became covetous. Many preachers have lost ministry today because they became covetous. They look at others who seem to have something more flourishing, bigger. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know their connection to God. They don't even know anything. But they just desire. Then they start to manipulate their own people. They start to, to do things and play tricks here and there and here and there. So, and you shall be reaping. <laughs> I don't even know those language. You know, you know double, double it up and let God double your life. <laughs> How much are you sowing now? 1,000. Double it up and let God double your life in a hurry. Double, double, double. <laughs> those are lies. They have become greedy. They have become greedy. We must not be people who contentment. One of the things God taught me as since I was a child is how to always be contented with whatever I got. When I was growing up, I was just about six years old. We were living in a place 
lovely area of a city called Kano in Nigeria. It was a lovely estate built by the British before they left in the 50s and 60s. Nigeria gained her independence. So, you know, lots of flowers. So, people like my dad, who were, you know, senior lecturers at that time in, in, in colleges and places, they were giving those houses as staff quarters. It was beautiful. But around us, we were the, I would say we were the least in terms of hierarchy of the, the people there. They were, to our left was a commissioner, another one was a big businessman. And so, when all the children came out, they all had chopper bicycles. Those days, those bicycles were, I don't know how to describe them anymore, but they were the finest when I was a child. And they had a gear shift, three gear shift. Some of people from my generation would know that. They had a gear shift. My father could not buy one. It was 90 Naira, Nigerian Naira then. But that was a lot of money. That was in the days when Naira was trading to 66. Uh, one dollar was about one pound, to just make it easy. One dollar was about a pound in those days. So 90 Naira was a lot of money, it's like 90 pounds. And these people, my dad then, maybe his salary was about 300 Naira a month or something, or 200 a yeah. Now he could not buy, he bought me a rally. Rallies were very big for big people like that. <laughs> when all our friends came out with their choppers, and some of them have just come back from holiday from the States, and I didn't even know, I hardly went to the airport. When I go to the airport, it's to view places that I'm going. <laughs> That's all I knew about the airport that time. That was fun day for us, to go and watch planes fly. <laughs> and I would come out with my rally. And kids, kids are lovely. Kids, they never saw me different. They would just ride with me. I would ride with them. It was much later it occurred to me that my bike is different. <laughs> One day I said, this is my bike, has no gear. Once I ride it, that is it. If you like speed, if you like those speed. <laughs> but this one had gear shift. I started to see the difference. As we grew older, you see? As you grew older, you start to become carnal. <laughs> That's why you need spirituality the older you grow. <laughs> then I started to see, oh, there's a difference here. But God taught me contentment from an early age. Whatever I have is what I have. What I have is what I have. This congregation is the most beautiful, and it will only get more beautiful, more beautiful, more beautiful. I don't look at things and say, ah, is this? No, no, not one day. You can ask my wife if you think I'm standing here lying to you. Not one day have I ever complained that, Lord, this work. Ah, no. Every day I say, Lord, I thank you for such a beautiful people that are in life gate. Wonderful people. I thank God for everything, every time. Because I realize that when you are contented, you always continue to remain trusting in God. Superficial people have a tendency to become idolaters. God said to Moses in Deuteronomy 31 16, the Lord said to Moses behold, you will rest with your fathers and these people will rise and play the harlot. They will go with other gods. It's just a matter of time. This is why none of those people entered the promised land except Joshua and Caleb and the children of those ones. Let's not be like them who only attach, enjoy the glory cloud and then forsake the Lord. Testings will come. Trials will come. Situations of life will blow hard winds at us. Jesus said in that story in Matthew 7, he said, when the winds came, when the rains came, whether you are built on sand or built on the rock, you will be hit by the same financial challenges that everyone is facing. When the pandemic came, it did not separate Christians from Muslims, from Hindus. It swept across. These things will always keep blowing. But we must understand 
that we must remain steadfast. Superficial discipleship will be blown away in the face of trials and temptations. Let us not be like them. Let us learn the art of contentment. Contentment does not mean complacency. I've said that many times. It doesn't mean you are complacent. You are willing to stretch. You are willing to go. You are willing to go with God. That's fine. But the reality is this. Contentment will always mean that whilst you are willing to stretch, you are also thankful for where you are. You are also thankful for what God has done so far. Hallelujah. If you don't thank God for the 500 pounds that comes in regularly every month, my dear brother and sister, it can never become 1,000. It can never become 5,000. By the grace of God, I've seen a lot of money come through my life, come through my account from time to time in a short time. But when I came to this country, the reality is that my, I came on a stipend of 6,000 pounds a year, 500 pounds every month. Inside it, I would tie. Inside it, I would pledge for the church work. Inside it, I would give my wife five pounds to go to Asda to go and buy peanut butter and make us peanut soup. And that's what we will eat. And we'll eat it. Our tummy will protrude like that. <laughs> when you see me outside, you say, man, this guy is enjoying. Yeah, he's had a big pot of semo <laughs> with peanut soup. Peanut soup. Ten years ago, we went to Singapore. Some of you know this story. We sat down for the first time. We've never eaten something so expensive. We didn't know. Fine restaurant. When you see fine restaurant, be very careful before you just sit down and start eating. <laughs> you just stand at the door. If they don't have that thing they put on the, on the door so that you can see their menu and prices, when you get in and you're asking for a table, ask, can I, can I have a look at the man, menu, please? <laughs> can I have a look at the menu, please? <laughs> so that you know whether it's your size or not. If you see that the figure there is not friendly, Say, thank you very much. Would you like us to give you two seats? Say, no, 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 no. And God bless you. <laughs> I can't help you at all. You can't help me. 1997, I was in Amsterdam. For the first time, first few times I traveled out to my home country. I haven't been living here then. I was doing, going around in duty-free shopping. Huh? And I got to this place. They were selling wristwatches. Lovely Rolex wristwatches. Fine place. Some of you that traveled to Amsterdam will probably know the shop. And I went on the window. I saw one wristwatch, 23,000 euros. That time, euros were just starting to be spent. So I said, maybe this euro is not like the former currency. So maybe this is the conversion that is not correct. <laughs> so I went to their chart to convert to pounds. Then I saw that at that time, it was over 20,000 pounds. One wristwatch. So when I was doing conversion, the lady thought I was a very serious buyer. So she came to me, she said, Oh, how can I help you? When I saw 20,000 pounds, I said, you can't help me at all. <laughs> you cannot help me at all. Even my car, my brand new car in Nigeria did not cost 20,000 pounds that time. I walked out. When I went to another place and I saw some there for 25 pounds, I said, hey, this is the kind of <laughs> 25 euro. Hey, now we're talking. Ha, is it no reason? <laughs> 25 euro. 100 euro, okay, huh? 20,000. <laughs> and I saw people negotiating it there. I saw people coming, oh, very nice. Honey, don't you like that? Honey, it's beautiful. I said, Lord, <laughs> these are levels. <laughs> so we must understand we need to be contented. When we sat down at that restaurant and they bought a bill, 
For the first time, our food was over $200 once eaten. I told my wife, this is the last time we're going to eat here. <laughs> because the whole budget for the week has, <laughs> has gone on this dinner. So if we come here again, that means for one week when we get back, we will not be eating. <laughs> but if you are not contented or you want to prove a point, you just give your card. You say, swipe it. <laughs> You'll be swiping, swiping. When you reach your credit card company will send you a bill, 4,000 pounds for food. Then you start fighting your wife down. When did you eat all this food? <laughs> Be contented, enjoy your life, you remain in the vine. Number three, embracing false doctrine. And I'll be quick now because of time. Embracing false doctrine. People start to embrace false doctrine. John said in his epistle, first John chapter two, he said, Little children, it is the last hour as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. They have come already, by which we know that it is the last hour. He said, they went out from us, verse 19, 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. This has nothing to do with people who leave a church. I've heard this scripture preached, and when pastors are very angry that people left them, they start to use this and say, they were not of us. They went away. Ah, that's not what John is saying here, the reality is that wherever church anybody is and goes as long as we all believe in the sonship of Jesus Christ, we are one body. Hallelujah. We are one body in Christ. We are one body of Christ. But what he's saying here is that when they become antichrists, when they become people who start to, thank you, when they become people who start to, ah, okay, bless God. When they, when they become antichrists, they become people who start to uh, uh, talk against Christ and against his sonship, then we must be careful. Now, what do we do with such a person? First John 2, where we read before, when he talks of Second Peter, Timothy 3, verse 5, said, but having a form of godliness, denying the power of thereof, he says, from such, turn away. What it means is that walk in love towards them, but never partake of their ways. We have, to be remain, we have to remain convinced about the Lordship of Christ and about the Sonship of Jesus. He said, anybody that lives and starts to say categorically that Jesus Christ is not Lord anymore, he said they were never of us. So we've got to be very careful. People fall away that way very quickly these days. We need to give ourselves the right foundations. Paul said, no other foundation can a man lay than the foundation laid by Jesus Christ. We are blessed when we continue to abide in the world. We are blessed when we continue to abide in the world. We continue to experience God. And he helps us to live a life that is full of victory. All the days of our lives. Let us treasure the place that we are in God. We are the temple of the living God. 2 Corinthians 6.16 tells us. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he said, I am not ashamed for, uh, sorry, he said, for uh, Christ lives in me. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. He said, nevertheless, I live, and life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Christ lives in us. I say, Christ lives in you. He said, if you abide in me, and I abide in you. 
it is like what we call a concentric circle. Look at two big circles. Look at two circles. One big one, one small one. You are that small one. Imagine yourself outside Christ. And then imagine yourself putting yourself in Christ. And then as you put yourself in Christ, you take on the characteristic of that big circle. Do you understand what I'm trying to put in the image? That is how we abide in him and he abides in us. When we come into Christ, we take on the characteristics of Christ. We are in Christ, but he too comes into us because he infuses his characteristics, his life into us. This is what God expects of us. I want to finally say this. We must hold on to fundamental truths always. Every foundational truth that we have, we must hold on to them. This is what helps us to abide in him always. First John 2.24 says, Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. Verse 26, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Verse 27, 1 John 2.27, But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Let us hold on to our profession of faith. Hebrews 4.14 tells us, let us hold on. Many things will try to discourage you. Life issues will try to discourage you. Say you have been holding on what has God done for you. You have been holding on all these years. What has been the difference? You are deceiving yourself. It is a lie of the devil. The Bible says, they that endure to the end, they that endure to the end shall surely overcome. This is a race that we must run to the very end. Not in our power, but by the Spirit of God. Keep abiding. Keep abiding. Whatever the devil is trying to do in your life to make you severed and make you have a frosty relationship with Christ, I curse it in the name of Jesus. I destroy that walk of darkness in the name of Jesus. And I pray that there will be a refreshing in your soul. There will be a refreshing in your spiritual journey in the name of Jesus. Let's rise to our feet and let's give God praise. He's worthy. He's worthy.